everyone, and welcome to a new episode of AI Chats. This is a podcast series produced by the law firm of Haynes and Boone and lawyers from its AI and deep learning practice group. Uh, the intent is to explore the exciting, ever-evolving, and occasionally controversial world of artificial intelligence. My name is Eugene Gorionov. I'm a partner in the Chicago office of the firm, and I'm joined by two of my esteemed colleagues, Roger Kwan from our San Francisco office and Gina Blickstein from our New York office. Today, for our latest episode, we're going to talk about how artificial intelligence is being used in healthcare. But before we begin, our standard disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be legal advice and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. With that, I'll turn the floor over to uh, Dina Blickstein. So, Roger, AI seems to be a trending topic in healthcare these days. How are healthcare companies currently applying AI? Yeah, Dina, I mean, healthcare companies right now are applying AI across a broad spectrum of different areas, uh, especially in the last five to 10 years, you've seen this really, again, this uh, ubiquitous use of it. So, you know, maybe we can start with one one particular area in terms, in terms of drug discovery. Um, you're, you're seeing AI being used in intelligent drug design, where basically these algorithms are, are being used to help custom design therapeutic compounds or proteins that bind optimally to target binding sites. Um, another area that's uh, in, within drug discovery is clinical trial cohort selection, where um, AI is being used to help select optimally suited patients for um, drug clinical trial studies. And again, this is important because, uh, you know, as we all know, um, a, when you're doing clinical trials, failures of clinical trials are actually a, a vast increase in cost for companies and choosing the right participants right up front is extremely important. And last but not least, you're seeing a broad application of AI for um, the drug repurposing uh, area where basically these algorithms are being used to mine electronic health records to identify new therapeutic uses for existing drugs and also to identify new drug combinations. Well, let me ask you this. What are some advantages of applying AI to drug discovery? Well, AI enables uh, what we term as uh, in the industry as precision medicine, as it allows for analysis of vast amounts of healthcare data, right, to make these predictions about, as I mentioned earlier, novel therapeutic targets and combinations, uh, identify patients who can benefit the most from, these, from a giving therapeutic. Uh, it really, really empowers uh, this, this concept of uh, making moving from a paradigm of what one size fits all on, on the therapeutic side to something more individualized because it can parse through uh, data in such an efficient and accurate way. Roger, how does AI do this? Well, it, again, it goes through and, and uh, cuts through the, the, uh, the data itself to try to find inferences. So, for example, let's go back to the, uh, what I was turning about, the, uh, the clinical cohort selection. Um, you can look at a vast trove of data about of, of uh, particular patients that you want to enroll in a particular um, drug study, for example. And because it, the, the algorithms are learning, um, I guess, what, uh, what to identify for as, as patients that are, are, uh, are ideally suited for a particular drug study, it can also identify the patients that you want to enroll in these studies. All right. Well, what about digital therapeutics? What are some advantages of using AI there? 
Um, within the construct of digital therapeutics, um, they're used to, you know, primarily in the area of treating cognitive and mental diseases, right, by using um, what we term as digital biomarkers to monitor a patient's cognitive or mental state. And then it customizes these algorithms, customize these interventions to improve um, cognitive or mental state. Uh, it's a constantly, I guess, a, a almost like a recursive type of improvement. Uh, and it's, it's just amazing when, when, uh, when you see, um, how these algorithms are used, for example, to treat post-traumatic stress disorder or depression. Um, some very vast improvements in those areas. Let's turn to diagnostics, Roger. How is AI being used in diagnostics? Well, it's used in two primary areas. Um, you're seeing, uh, I'll just break it up into two categories. The first category is, is imaging-based diagnostics, where uh, basically these algorithms are used to help identify imaging features of interest for diagnostic purposes, right? So the way that would work, for example, is let's say um, in, in uh, the treatment of uh, one area that's very difficult right now is uh, Alzheimer's or, or, uh, or dementia. Um, what's, what's been shown in the past is that there are actually anatomical features that have, that, that are markers or digital biomarkers of, um, folks suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's. And because again, you're using, using vast trolls of data, uh, medical data and imaging data, uh, from the past, you could, that to train these algorithms, they can now again, uh, be fed new images, MRI images of, of a brain scan and um, basically help uh, clinicians identify Alzheimer's and, and dementia and, and with more accuracy. And with respects to in the other area, it's uh, in the area of genomic and proteomic biomarker-based uh, diagnostics. Basically, these algorithms are used to help with genomic biomarker, uh, genomic and or proteomic biomarker data to diagnose an individual's disease condition or to predict the likelihood of an individual getting a disease condition in the future. And in these cases, does AI help you to discover treatment or early diagnosis? Yeah, in these cases, it does. And then what's what's the advantages of, of uh, AI being used in this way is it enables greater accuracy, again, and more consistency, right, in patient diagnosis and what, what's seen in traditional diagnostic methods. Um, and then again, I'm going to, you know, route us back to the imaging-based diagnostics piece. I mean, there has actually been studies done in the past that that have shown that there's there's quite a bit of variability from radiologists to radiologists when they're reviewing the same images, right? Um, and with these uh, with these AI trained algorithms, you could, you're seeing not only an improvement in the accuracy of the uh, diagnostic read, but also you're eliminating a lot of the uh, practitioner to practitioner variability. So in the future, do you foresee AI replacing radiologists or used, is it something that would be used to uh, double check the radiologist? I, I don't think it would ever replace radiologists outright. Um, I think it's more or less going to be used as a, as a supplemental, supplementary tool. Um, cause there are still, you know, as with all things in, in, in medicine, right? Um, not everything fits into neat buckets. So, and as, as folks that understand AI, I mean, really you're, you're, you're mining things that have happened in the past or historical data that's, sh- that's shown that particular disease state. Well, well, for new novel conditions, um, AI isn't always necessarily the best for diagnosing those type of conditions. So I don't think it really actually replaces the radiologist outright. Let's move to clinical decision support. Um, how is AI being used there? 
Well, these AI is being used to, to power tools that can guide clinicians in selecting treatments or interventions that result in, in, in a better patient outcome. Um, and again, one example of that would be um, their, their software that, that, I, that we've kind of crossed in the past uh, uh, where basically it's used to go ahead and identify sepsis in patients with, with uh, greater accuracy. Folks that understand sepsis uh, and, and the, and the uh, difficulties there is that it doesn't always have very good, um, I guess, uh, a single type, a single marker or a single indication of that a patient suffering from it. Um, so what people have done in the past is they, they use AI to parse um, electronic medical records of patients that have suffered sepsis in the past, and they're using very large amounts of uh, different types of inputs to make these predictions. And, and if you were to go ahead and do this again uh, uh, without using AI, it's very hard to go ahead and parse out how all these various indicators or inputs uh, factor into that diagnosis. So it's, it's been used in very, very effective ways. So, Roger, I heard another area where AI is being used is robotic surgery. Uh, can you tell us how that works? In essence, what 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 uh, how AI is used is it's used to teach robots to perform, I guess, more error-free surgical procedures. Um, and you know, one of the advantages of of AI being used in this construct is that it minimizes you know error, surgical errors, and and also again goes going back to what. I mentioned earlier about the diagnostics piece. It really provides a measure of consistency, right, and surgical outcomes for a patient. Um, again, it's like all traditional AI. It's 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 utilizing uh, data, right, that that was generated in past procedures, uh, and actually programming the robots to go ahead and, and perform these these future procedures again in, in more consistent ways. Is AI robotic surgery being used today? Um, it, there are a number of companies that are that are uh, moving forward uh, into the space right now. I believe there are actually a number of platforms that are either um, you know, have been approved or are very close to being approved. So I expect that um, robotic surgery uh, to be actually more commonplace in the next three to five years. So do you envision this happening as a robot being in the same surgery room as the surgeon? I, I still think, you know, there are going to be uh, certain parts of a, of a long surgical procedure where, where um, AI, AI's robotic surgery can, can supplement what a surgeon does. But again, I, I don't think any of these tools really replace uh, the role of the doctor or, or surgeon outright because there are, as we all know, there are always things that complications that arise during any procedure that may or may not have happened in the past. Right. So um, you still need that measure of, of, I guess, oversight from a clinician or, or a surgeon uh, to run these procedures. So for the time being, um, AI and robotics appears to be just another tool that a surgeon can use. I believe so. Yes. I think that's really and for the foreseeable future, that's where it's going to be used. It's certain portions. Let's say you're running a um, cardiothoracic surgery, right? Maybe there's portions of that surgery that that'll be done by, you know, a robot assisted tool or robot tool outright. Uh, and other parts that could be that could be swapped off for the surgeon where the surgeons have performed the procedure. Uh, Roger, thank you very much for that background and for the discussion of the various implementations of AI. I guess I want to take a look at some legal issues that are particularly important to healthcare companies that use AI. you mind addressing some of those? Yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, we can kind of bucket down the legal issues into regulatory legal issues and intellectual property issues and things that we've seen in, in this space. So with respect, let's start with the regulatory issues. 
Uh, the primary regulatory issues that you're going to encounter um, with AI and healthcare is one, from a perspective, data privacy, right? Especially around the training data sets that are used to train these tools. Um, and within, with respect to, to data privacy, on, at the federal level, you have to deal with, with HIPAA laws. Um, and there is also, you're going to see within the states, especially here in California, there's also the CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act. Um, and then internationally, you're seeing a lot of data privacy laws prop up uh, as well. And one, one of note we're going to see there is probably the GDPR within the European Union. Um, and the second area within the regulatory issues is the FDA regulatory. I mean, there is a lot of angst right now and difficulty with obtaining regulatory approval for AI-powered healthcare solutions. And the reason being is really the, 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 it's the dynamic nature of these solutions. I mean, AI, one of the great things about it is that it continuously learns and improves itself as more data is fed into the, into the model. Um, folks that understand how the FDA works will note that the FDA, the last thing the FDA likes is their, uh, is their medical devices or, or tools being dynamic. They like static devices. They, when they don't like things that are changing. So really, there's a lot of, um, discussion within the FDA as to how the best, um, again, get, gain the advantages that the AI provides. Um, you know, to these to these medical devices are being approved, but as well as again, put the safeguards in that that can kind of alleviate the FDI's uneasiness about the tools that function slightly different, right? As as more data is fed into it. Roger, as um, AI develops, I'm sure companies would want to have some intellectual property protection on AI. But you also mentioned there are legal issues there. Can you talk about some of them? Yeah, I mean, with respect to AI and, and IP, I, I actually have a very, I guess, a broader and stand, broader framework of what I consider um, intellectual property for AI. Um, traditionally, you know, intellectual property, first thing that comes to people's mind is, you know, patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. Well, I view uh, the data rights piece for AI um, technologies as just as important as all the other uh, three or four categories. Right. So with respect to patents, you know, really the biggest issues that you're going to run into is the patentability, subject matter patentability, the AI invention itself. Uh, there is a lot of issues with what's considered patentable uh, in AI innovations uh, because of a variety of cases that, that have uh, cropped up before the Supreme Court uh, in the last uh, five, 10 years, uh, primarily the cases like Mayo, Myriad, Bilski and Alice. So there are definitely some challenges and also what I serve some opportunities as to how to structure um, patents around to protect these these areas. Um, another area that's propped up or an issue that's uh, propped up recently is, is that of inventorship, right? For example, this goes back to an example I, I mentioned earlier about drug discovery. Let's say you're using an AI powered algorithm to go ahead and, and, um, const- and design a novel small molecule therapeutic. Well, the question at that point is who owns, who's actually the inventor of that, of that th- um, small molecule? Is it the AI algorithm, or is it the uh, the folks who design the uh, the model, the AI model that's used to go ahead and uh, uh, generate the small molecules? So there are definitely some cases and and uh, a lot of uh, I guess revolving questions around the inventorship uh, issues. And um, so with respect to AI technologies, one of the things that I like to counsel clients on is really what I term as overlapping protection strategies. So really, it's a strategic use of patents and trademark protection, 
right, for AI innovation. I'll, I'll give an example what I mean by that. So let's take the diagnostics realm. Um, let's say you've, designed, you've developed an AI-trained algorithm that can, that can use um, uh, digital biomar- sorry, biomarker data to predict a person's uh, risk of having breast cancer, right? And, you know, we can, and within that uh, AI algorithm, let's say it's a neural network-based algorithm, and then you have a, you have a set of five inputs, standard inputs, five mar- standard biomarker inputs that goes into that model. Um, well, we advocate drafting a patent around, again, the, the, uh, the predictive model using those five specific inputs and the outputs that you're looking at in the end as a, as a method and, and a system claim. We also advocate an overlapping protection mechanism where you, you, dis, you use trade sequence to protect, for example, the, the weight factors that are assigned to each of those markers internally within the, um, within the AI uh, software. So as you can see, you're getting the benefit of, of uh, potentially patent protection around the, the overall idea I mentioned, as well as really a lot of the advantages that, you, that your access to data is giving you, which is in the form of, again, these, uh, these, these weight factors that are built into your system. Um, and another you know, area that, that I, uh, like I alluded to earlier, data rights is extremely important uh, to, AI, to the AI, AI arena. Uh, within healthcare, I mean, really, to be frank, I would even say that data rights is more important, maybe more important than patent rights to a lot of comp- uh, AI companies in healthcare, because really it comes down to if you have more vo- uh, larger volumes or of quality data than a competitor, your your uh, software invariably is going to be probably more accurate or be- uh, function better than someone who has less lesser volume of data or lesser quality. Uh, of data, right? So really within the data rights perspective, you have to look at uh, whether or not you get your uh, satisfying informed consent requirements. So if you're, for example, a company that, um, that uh, let's say you're, you're obtaining data sets from a hospital provider, right? Uh, you want to make sure that the hospital provider is actually getting the requisite informed consent from their patients to, to allow them to use the data later down or share the data with uh, third parties downstream. Um, and also within that same construct, um, there's really a lot of attention right now being paid to the, the data share, sharing collaborations and agreements. Again, the construct will be a, uh, a healthcare system or provider um, partnering up with a biopharma or a pharma company, right, and sharing data with the pharma company to do what I just said earlier, which is the, the drug discovery innovations. And uh, a lot of these agreements are very non-traditional. They're very new. Uh, and really, data is at the center of it. How, uh, who has rights to what? Um, so those are those are very interesting areas that they'll, they'll be very fertile uh, in the future. Well, so it sounds like some of these areas that you just discussed um, may be in the way of you know the clinical adoption of some of these tools. Uh, are there any other ones that come to mind? Yeah, that's a great question, Eugene. I mean, um, that is one that is one challenge that you're seeing right now, and. and and honestly, it is a challenge that's, that's uh, you know, shown itself to be kind of difficult to overcome. I mean, um, the reality is there are AI-powered tools that have been approved by the FDA, especially in the imaging space. Um, but there, it's really clinicians up till now recently have always have still been very reluctant, right, to go ahead and fully adopt these tools beyond actually just using them as, I, I guess, as, as a s- supplemental 
tool that's uh, that's providing information that's good to know, right? Versus you know directly actionable. And the reasons for that, some of the reasons that I just covered earlier, there's there there is the uncertain regulatory framework that 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 applies to AI uh, powered healthcare solutions uh, to ensure patient safety. I mean, it's it's still being worked out at the FDA. They they're trying to deal with this. Uh, from a perspective of um, the software as a medical device, uh, Pathways, 510K, PMA. Um, there's actually right now, uh, as of, I believe, the uh, last quarter of 2020, the FDA just established a, a center of excellence for digital health that's really charged or, or uh, powered to go ahead and deal with the re- developing, I guess what we term as uh, uh, good regulatory frameworks or reliable regulatory frameworks to, to regulate these AI uh, software solutions to ensure patient sh- safety. Um, another area that, that another way of getting, um, I guess, quote unquote, these products approved has been um, some, some uh, uh, companies have, have, have sought um, AI as a tools as a laboratory developed test under CLIA where it doesn't go through the full, I guess, measure of, uh, of uh, regulatory scrutiny as a, as a fully approved product that goes through, you know, either a PMA, PMA process or 510K process. And um, that, again, creates some nervousness because, again, you don't have that robustness that's built in our regulatory robustness that, that patients or, and also clinicians are used to. And the other thing is the area of, of um, again, physician and patient trust. I mean, physicians, again, are a little reluctant to use these tools because, again, they, 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 they don't see – up till recently, they haven't seen um, or a term as f- uh, formalized use cases that have been developed by the various uh, physician certification bodies – such as the American College of Radiology, right? That gives them, again, this comfort that this is not just something that they're playing around with, that it is actually a serious diagnostic tool that they should trust. That's changing. Um, the ACR has started to put out use cases, formalized use cases to guide physicians or, or, and their members to go ahead and more safely use or, or, um, these tools in their, within their practice. And lastly, but not least, there is the issue of um, a tort or tort or malpractice liability. Again, these are new solutions, right? These are new tools, and 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 not uh, not all physicians are are really how to say up to speed of understanding how they work and and what their their advantages disadvantages are because they haven't really worked with it um, themselves. So really, so because, since that's the case, they they are typically very worried about liability for relying on these these uh, AI powered solutions. And I think that's just going to have to play itself out over time. I think a combination of a, a more certain regulatory framework and also uh, with a lot of these physician certification bodies coming out with formalized use cases will start to alleviate um, this, I guess, the tort or malpractice liability risk. So it seems, Roger, that AI tools in healthcare have issues from the development to legal issues to implementation. How can healthcare companies position themselves for success in this space? Yeah, I think generally, I think um, healthcare companies, AI companies at a very early stage in their development really need to to really uh, account for three main things. I think the first of that is really to set up a robust company data privacy compliance program from the outset before they take in 
any data, particular any data that can, contains uh, personally personal health identifi- identification data, right? So, or like example, EMRs, right? Electronic medical record. Uh, the last thing you want to do is to not have a uh, not ingest that data in the proper way because it it acts uh, in the the cleanup process and the delays to your product launch later down the road uh, could be very significant. Right. So first off, make sure you get that piece right, right from the start before you start using that data and your, or uh, as training data for your, um, for your algorithms. The second thing is, is really they, they need to audit, you know, which is funny, right? Audit this, these, uh, agreements from, um, the, from the data providers that they're using to go and train their algorithms with. So using the construct that I used earlier, let's say you're a, you're an AI company that's uh, that's uh, put it set up to go ahead and deal with develop a clinical decision support software. Before you train your CDS software with data that you obtain from a let's say a, a healthcare system, you want to audit those agreements that the healthcare systems have with their with their patients to make sure they actually can do that, right? That they can actually uh, uh, share their data with third parties. Uh, third parties. Because um, again, as we can, so I know if you don't, uh, if you train, once you train and start mixing data, data sets from different providers, um, it's very hard to back that out of your algorithm later on down the road, especially if you later, uh, you further go ahead and get that algorithm approved by the FDA. You would, you likely would have to pull that data out and then get, go through the approval process again, as you can, and as you can imagine, that will delay your product launch by six months to a year. Um, and lastly, but not least, I think it's very important to go ahead and strategically plan on how to protect intellectual property around innovations. And, and, and the critical piece here is like, I think folks have to really look beyond just patents and copyrights to protect AI uh, innovations. You really need to pay attention to the interplays uh, between patents, data rights, and trade secrets altogether, and really try to develop as many overlapping protection strategies as you can. Thank you, Roger, for joining us and discussing AI role in the healthcare. And thank you to our guests and listeners for joining us on this episode of AI Chats. You can find today's episode and other ones on the major podcast platforms such as Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Amazon. Our podcasts and relevant articles about artificial intelligence and various topics within that scope are also located at the firm's AI and deep learning practice page, which can be found at HanesBoon.com. Our practice page also contains contact information for all the lawyers in the practice group. Please feel free to reach out to any of us if you'd like to suggest topics for the future AI chat episodes. Take care, all. <laughs>